We will never leave you, even in the face of our death. The richness of our lives shall be yours. All that I have, all that I've learned, everything I feel, all this and more, I, I bequeath you, my son. You will carry me inside you all the days of your life. You will make my strength your own. See my life through your eyes, as your life will be seen through mine. The son becomes the father, and the father the son. This is all I... All I can send you. Come on. Men in a Retrospective Podcast, Superman Retrospective Series. Hi. Superman? That's me. From 1978 Superman, all the way through 2016's Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, Garrett. How can one man be so square and so delicious? Matt. Long past saving. And Adam. You diseased maniac. We'll look at all the Kryptonian Sun's cinematic adventures. The problem with Men of Steel, there's never one around when you want one. Was Richard Donner's vision of Superman deserving of its iconic reputation? Easy, miss. I've got you. You you've got me! Who's got you? Superman returns as bad as it's reputed to be. Hey, you know something? You're a real pain in the neck. What about 1984's Supergirl? Well, we really better talk. Find out the answers to all these questions and more coming up, courtesy of Percolated Media. This order's to go. Superman Returns, released June 28, 2006. Budget on this was $223 million. Box office, $391.1 million. And this is directed by a gentleman we have not spoken about since X-Men, Mr. Brian Singer. Superman Returns. I gotta tell you, boys, I have been wanting to do a long-form review of this movie ever since I saw it in theaters way back in 2006. I did do a mini-review of it, but there's so much to talk about with this movie that there wasn't any way I could get it in in like the 30, 40 minutes I was given over there. And I'm finally getting to talk about it with you gents, and oh boy, do I have a ton to say. Adam, did you see this in theaters when it was released in 2006? Yep, this was an absolute theater watch. I remember... One, being excited because Superman was back, even though at that time I did not know the actor who was playing him. I didn't know who Brandon Routh was, but I absolutely knew 
who was playing Lex Luthor, because he was one of my favorite actors at the time, and I absolutely knew who was directing this film, because he directed one of my favorite superhero movies of all time. So... Yeah, I mean, this is something that I was pretty damn excited about when I heard that it was coming. Yeah, it's taken a bunch of failed attempts and a movie starring Shaq to get here. <laughs> but we finally got here in 2006. And man, did we have a ton to say, to say about that movie last week. Yeah, we did. Goudreau, what about you? Were you excited when this was coming out? No, to put it bluntly. <laughs> but I, I got excited because my grandfather was really into Superman. And this movie was made for him. And people who grew up with the Donner Superman, which I enthusiastically said on the previous shows, I did not have that as part of my cinematic Rolodex. I didn't realize that Brian Singer, you know, the guy who made X-Men, was doing this movie because I was, was 12. So I don't think I was fully into film fandom in that capacity, certainly in that level of detail. But I was curious because this was the first official live-action Superman film released in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Deal doesn't count because Superman's not in it. But I will say this. My grandfather loved the movie. As a 12-year-old boy, I fell asleep in that movie theater. I am, <laughs> I, I am not exaggerating. I dozed off, and I woke up when Superman was lifting the mountain, and I was awake for the rest of the movie. I couldn't tell you the exact moment I dozed off, but... I'm pretty sure it was during the first four hours of this movie. It was, it was sometime in that time, sometime in that in that period. I was so excited for this movie. I remember the trailer being released. It was released during an episode of Smallville, and they had been promoting it the entire episode. The trailer is shown after that episode, and man, could I have not have been more excited. Maybe it was just because in that trailer, we heard Brando talking in it. Singer famously got the Brando estate to sign off on the rest of the stuff that he did for the two Donner films. He was talking, and then we see Superman in space, and he flew down. And I remember going to work and school the next day, just talking about nothing but the upcoming film that this was. It was a huge moment for me, because as I mentioned in those Donner films, when we we did them way back in March. Those films were a huge part of my love for superheroes, my love for cinema. And when it was time for this to come out, it felt like the love letter to those films. And it was, in essence, a love letter to me. But it took a long time to get here. Superman 4 was released in 1987. We get this nearly 20 years later. So we talked about this a little bit when we did Steel, but let's talk about the failed attempts to bring Superman to the screen from 1987 to 2006. Of course, there's one we talked about last week, the failed Kevin Smith, Tim Burton project starring Nicolas Cage, where John Peters famously wanted Smith to write a scene where Superman fights a spider. We talked about that last week. Let's not talk about that now. We then get the J.J. Abrams script and Brett Ratner production Flyby, which I was reading before I made the call to you guys, and oh boy, do you guys remember this script at all? Adam, have you read any portion of what this is about? I've read none of it. I knew that J.J. had written it. I haven't even really heard what it is. But much like the famed Whedon Wonder Woman type script, you would think that I would go search these out, read them, and I haven't, any of them. But I did know, I do know that it existed. Matt, what about you? So. I have read it in its entirety, and I'm so glad they did not make that movie, because holy shit, this script sounded abysmal, where basically, if you have not read it, the big thing is that Krypton never actually exploded, 
and there is now a civil war going on on Krypton between the brother of Jor-El, so it would be Superman's uncle. Kal-El has to come back. Lex Luthor is actually like a man in black CIA type of character mm-hmm. who would have turned out to be a Kryptonian. Mm-hmm. Shit. Um, among many things, and look, I have no love for J.J. Abrams as a filmmaker, especially with when we get to Star Trek. I have words, but... The one-two punch of J.A. was the, uh, Brett Ratner. You could not have sold a movie any more poorly, in my mind, than that. <laughs> Casting-wise, it would have been interesting, though. If you look at the... That script was going to be made. Like, they were they were looking at mm-hmm. Josh Hartnett to play Superman. Brendan Fraser turned him down four times. Wow. Reportedly. And they wanted Ray Fiennes to be Lex Luthor because, of course, they fucking did. Of course. (laughs) Jude Law was offered Superman. Like, it's... Mm. uh, That I knew. Jude Law was offered Lex Luthor, I thought. No, well, they offered him a couple things. Because if you remember, Mm -hmm. we'll talk about the end of this, that Brian Singer was planning to do a sequel to Superman Returns with Jude Law playing Terrence Stamp's general. Yes. I understand why that movie did get made, because that, that script is fucking horrible. <laughs> like, like, the dialogue's really painful. It's a huge retcon to say Krypton never actually exploded. Yeah. And and Clark Kent's like this geeky fucking college student. Like a, like who, a- yeah, he meets Lois at a fucking frat party. And it, like... It- it just goes way off kilter, and it was pretty abysmal. I got about halfway through it before I called you boys, and I was dumbfounded by the shit that he did in it. But you know what? It would have been interesting. I mean, let's not forget, you know, those failed attempts before, we would have seen Superman on screen again. Oh, by the way, Matt, they were also looking at Henry, Henry Cavill for Superman 2 in that movie as well. There were also turned down scripts by Dan Gelway, who would go on to do Nightcrawler, and William Wisher, who worked on Terminator 2. And then there was another one that I had no no idea existed. There's a script by one of my favorite writers, Andrew Kevin Walker, who did Seven. Batman vs. Superman Asylum. Mm. And that was going to be directed by Wolfgang Peterson, who had done In the Line of Fire and Perfect Storm, amongst many other films. So tons of failed attempts. And who's the one who crawls in and actually gets the gig? It's Brian Singer. Now, Brian Singer and Matt, I think at some point the three of us have to do X-Men again. We definitely need to talk about those films. I want, I definitely want to hear Adam's take on those for sure. But people don't really realize, I mean, he was in the midst of a huge contract over at 20th Century Fox, which, by the way, those movies were produced by Lauren Schuler Donner. Mm-hmm. Lauren Schuler Donner is the wife of Richard Donner, or was the wife. She's now a widow, obviously. And... He got in contact with her and said, I have this idea. I know you guys are wanting to revamp Superman. Let's see what you guys think about this. And she got him in contact with Richard Donner. Richard Donner approved of it. He took it to the studio. Studio approved of it. And here we are with Superman Returns. That started production in 2004. And by the way, that pretty much ruined his relationship with 20th Century Fox forever. Yeah, it it also changed the trajectory of X-Men considerably because we got the colossal no pun intended, piece of shit that's X-Men The Last Stand, which I think could have been avoided if they either waited longer than they did or, B, let Brian Singer do this movie and come back. You know, this was not the period where the idea of a director doing both Marvel and DC was considered, like, sacrilege or it wasn't the Monday Night Wars where you were ostracized if you jumped ship. Like, I think people would have been okay. X2 was critically lauded. It never made sense to me that Fox wanted to proceed outside of the fact that they had a hard deadline that they just would not budge on. And Brett Radner goes from making a more likely than not shitty Superman movie 
to a shitty X-Men movie. Adam, what are your thoughts on this? To me, it blows my mind because, yeah, it's one of those things that unless you were really in the know, I don't think most laymen would understand why it was a big deal for him to be leaving. But my thoughts on X2 notwithstanding, it was very critically lauded, as Matt said. A lot of people incorrectly find it the best or one of the best of the X-Men movies. And it's amazing to me that nobody was willing to budge. Nowadays, if you were to get – and this was Brian Singer. This was somebody who is – and I hate how douchey this sounds, but gave an air of credibility – to some of these films because of work that he had done. You know, it was taking comic book films seriously, and I hate that kind of tone, but back in this time, it meant something that way. But it's the classic pissing contest that these studios get into, and it's amazing to think of what the differences could have been for either of these films if somebody would have hedged, somebody would have been patient, somebody would have given a little bit, and instead, both franchises really kind of went off the rails at that point. They did, to the point where, you know, this did okay business, not enough to justify a sequel, and X-Men 3 really changed the course of X-Men. You have to wonder if Brian Singer stuck around, would we have gotten the first-class reboot at all? It's it's funny because, yeah, Brian Singer left to do this. You know, they made a movie without him, and then they decided they were going to go on their own way without him. And then a few years later, Brian Singer was just desperate to get back into making movies that he re-co-opted the X-Men universe. You know, he kind of stole it back. You know, Matt, you mentioned that this film changed the trajectory of X-Men for sure, but it changed another thing, something that was close to my heart that was going on at the time. The aforementioned show Smallville. The direction of that show completely changed when this went into production because once Smallville went and became a modest hit for the WB, this is when executives started talking about bringing Superman back to the screen, and Smallville has started doing their own thing with the legend. But once the WB film division got involved, that's when things started changing on the show. For example, they had not used crystals on the show for the longest time when that when it was on they had been using a key that unlocked a portal in the cave to get to where clark needed to go but once this film was in production lo and behold crystals started being placed in the show and certain characters such as lois lane would come into the series four seasons in and not be allowed to be used for more than six episodes per season because that was their mandate was they they set a certain mandate for each and every character and you know when you look at the wb it's changed since but the TV and film divisions, there's such a pissing match going on between those two. And the way they change things around, it blows my mind how those divisions can coexist. Matt, you were aware of this, correct? To a point, this was around the period where I stopped watching Smallville. But you can also tell they wanted Smallville to become more comic booky because that's when they started bringing in Brainiac and, you know, some of the more well-known, like, antagonists and key supporting characters like Lois Lane. Um... And it's when the show went from being an actual, like, you know, coming-of-age story to a Superman show sans the costume, except for the last episode. But that pissing contest still happens in other properties. The example I use is Gotham. They were not allowed to call their characters, plural, Joker. They could not use the name. So they they did everything else. Like they borrowed from Nicholson, they borrowed from Ledger. There's bits Jesus. of Camel. There's bits of Joaquin. They made him four different Jokers and never they called made him Joker. four different characters, but they still could have called him the Joker. They even gave him Harley Quinn. <laughs> like it's insane that this level of of fuckery still happens. All right. Well, that's a lot of a preamble I have. Unless you guys have anything else to add, what do you say we dive into this plot? Because, man, what a plot we have here. Can I, can I just say, like, the, the one joke, when this movie came out, 
it got good reviews. Like, it got lukewarm to good reviews. But everyone I talked to that was my age, we all, everyone always bitched. Superman didn't punch anything. That was, that oh, was like God. the one. I'm not wrong. Like that would be. Uh, no, you're not. That's the, that was the most common complaint. It wasn't about mm. story. It wasn't about yep. theme or filmmaking. It was Superman didn't punch anybody. Like, <sighs> it just it, it goes to show even back then. And remember, 2006. I call this period, and Adam's going to laugh when I say this. I call this the growing pains period of superhero movies, where we had prior to this we had Spider-Man and X-Men really kickstart the wave that Blade helped start. But X-Men and Spider-Man really legitimized it, especially their sequels. And all, they were trying to do it with every property they had. Daredevil, Fantastic Four, Elektra, Punisher, Constantine, any superhero that was worth a damn, they tried to make a movie. But by doing so, they did it by trying to just copy Sam Raimi's Spider-Man in a lot of ways. Luckily, this movie kind of broke that trend because they said, no, this is a sequel to The Donner. Well, Superman 1 and 2, because this is the first legacy sequel I can think of, or one of the first, where they just say, oh, yeah, the bad movies, those didn't happen, uh, which, which I hate. But one more point is that I thought the trailer for this movie was actually really good. They, I think they try a little bit too hard with the nostalgia, with the ju- hitting you with the John Williams music, but you know, hearing Brando's voice and cutting to a guy that I swear to God was cl- a clone of Christopher Reeve that they got out of a lab. I mean, it was setting things up to be like a true event movie, and the Superman Returns name was much more befitting than Batman Returns, where it's yeah. like, oh, he's still around. Like, they should have called, called Batman Returns Batman Continues, or Batman occasionally returns to his own movie. But this, it was also literal. Superman returns to the big screen for the first time in 20 years. All right. So we start off with a preamble explaining that astronomers discovered the remains of Krypton, which caused Superman to flee. Because there is nothing better than starting off your film with a wall of text that tells you what's going on. Really, Scott's done it for 50 fucking years, so... Compare... <laughs> I did. Singer to Ridley fucking Scott. I, well, I think they've made the same amount of good movies. <laughs> what, what do you think about this, Matt? This preamble. All right, am I gonna start pitching now? All right, I will. Yes. The first line: If you recall at the end of Superman two, he says he realizes that Earth is his home. Picks up the flag. He tells the president, "I'm not going anywhere." Mm-hmm. This movie fits in the face of that. It says, "Oh yeah, he left for five years." <laughs> right away, it shits on the previous continuity. That is. It is so desperately trying to, I'm going to say the joke because it's a Brian Singer movie, stroking Donner's dick. That's really what this movie is for me. <laughs> I think there's probably 20 better ways to do this than just putting a wall of text up there. Well, famously, they did do something different. Because when we cut to Krypton in the words of Jor-El, and you know, we're seeing this massive explosion, there was actually a $10 million preamble to this where we actually do see Superman in Krypton. But this movie's... All right, I want to go ahead and say already, this movie's too fucking long. It's already two and a half fucking hours. And this was going to be an extra 10 minutes added. Matt, have you seen... Do you know exactly what I'm talking about here? No, I have not seen any of the deleted footage. But now that you say that, I get angry because... He's been gone for five years, we find out. And there's one line that explains what he's been doing. He just says, I found nothing. Yeah. Really? You were there five fucking years and that's the, the most you can explain? It, it's, it's really frustrating that, you know, you don't see any of it, which it's already a difficult pill to swallow that he left Earth for five years defenseless. But, yeah, I, what's ten minutes of something that I would actually deem as essential 
I would gladly reinsert that movie and remove at least a good 30 minutes of what they deemed of quality. Yeah, I'll mention Absolutely. later. Absolutely. I'll mention later where we could easily get this film to sub two hours. But, you know, it's almost like, I don't know, maybe if there was, maybe in the DC universe, maybe in the Superman universe, if there was like some news division somewhere that could, you know, maybe explain some news as to what was going on. I don't know, something something on the planet that maybe, I don't know, gave out news on a daily basis. That would be a nice way to start this instead. Yeah, and it's got a trumpet on the logo. You know, it's got a, a Hitler mustache-wearing editor. I, I mean, we've been talking about so many multiverse movies lately that I think I'm starting to get confused. This is when we get the famous John Williams theme and flying credits. Now, while prepping this film with the studio, Singer did tell the studio that he would not do the film unless he got the rights to John Williams' music. I think it works in telling the love letter he's trying to tell here. And I got to say, whether it's John Ottman or John Williams doing the music, I still get chills every time I hear that theme. I don't think you can make a Superman movie without that Superman theme somewhere. I don't necessarily need it in a current iteration, you know, splayed throughout. But I think it's become iconic to the character I do. I appreciate that. I think it's one of those movies that have gone down in lore because how fucking difficult could it be for WB, who owns the music, to get their own fucking music in a movie? But I guess this was a pissing contest and it was a sticking point for a little bit. But I think it's necessary, especially with this being specifically a sequel to Donner Superman. Because it's interconnected, this movie would have felt naked without that music, which I guess Brian Singer would have preferred uh, in certain circles, but... It, it helps you feel enthusiastic and rejuvenated that Superman is back, especially because, and this is ironic, this movie really doesn't warrant that music. <laughs> I'm sorry. Th- though, can I say, it was not a sun that blew up Krypton. Krypton blew up Krypton. So maybe that's a holdover from J.J. Abrams' script, because that's what he does in fucking um, Star, Trek. Star yeah. Trek, that the sun blows up you know, <laughs> again. But, uh, I mean, it's a little thing. I'm not even a Superman guy, but Jesus criminy. Get the destruction of the planet right, people. Yeah, that's like saying Peter Parker got bit by a radioactive leech. (laughs) We then cut to a very dark scene, both literally and figuratively. We're seeing Noelle Neal from the original Superman show. She leaves her whole fortune to Lex Luthor because he, and I quote, showed her pleasure she never imagined. (laughs) With Kevin Spacey. (sighs) I didn't know that was a 15-year-old page boy. Oh, my God. And this implies that he's done this before. This character has done this before. And look, let's just get to this right now. We're getting our first glimpse of Lex, complete with hairpiece, as he throws it to some little girl in the house and says, you can keep that, the rest is mine. Okay, I find that kind of funny. I do, too. Singer told Spacey, look, don't watch. He told the other two, we're trying to mimic those first films, so, you know, watch those films. He told Spacey, do your own thing with this. Don't mimic Hackman. And, you know... We can talk about Spacey in the light of the actor that he was, not the person that he's become. I'm not sure how I feel about this version of Lex. Sometimes I like it, and sometimes I'm like thinking, what are you trying to do here? And this really explains my feelings on this movie. I am really on the fence about this character. Matt? So, it's impossible for me to separate Kevin Spacey, the person, from the actor, because so many of his characters match the real-life person, as we found out with these allegations. He's always played a sniveling scumbag with a dark secret. Um, that's a lot of his roles. Having said that, I think he's the best person in this movie. Wow. My problem is more with the writing, because I heard that as well, what he 
what he told him as far as direction besides, hey, check out that football player that's sitting there on the corner, go talk to him, that at points he's he's closer to comic book Lex. Like, he makes a lot of literary references. You know, he's very philosophical. He's much more ruthless than Gene Hackman was. But he makes the same mistakes that Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor did in plot. Right down to the scheme, he lists dialogue from Gene Hackman's Lex. I think it's, for for a movie that is so indebted to the Donner films, Lex's characterization really stands out because at times he feels connected to Gene Hackman and at other times it feels too much like its own thing. But I think Spacey is playing it well. And honestly, if I'm comparing him to Gene Hackman, he is closer to what I like about Lex Luthor, you know, the the ruthless guy. He doesn't feel like a used car salesman like Gene Hackman did. But at the same time, they keep so many of the things that I mentioned. And they also have the fucking, we have Parker Posey with the dog, Miss Tesla mm-hmm. 2.0. It's like, he's so in love with the Donner films, but he doesn't understand what made them work. It's, it A lot of it feels like an imitation and a homage, because this is a movie that relies entirely on nostalgia to drive the narrative. First, I was going to... I gotta say, this is a really interesting way to open the movie. You know, other than the opening credit, yeah. like you're opening with Lex, and a really weird Lex scene is that. Like it's 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 awkward, and yeah, watching this old woman die, um, I figured there had to be a connection there. I didn't know what it was. It's like the decision from the script and film and editing that this is what opens your movie. I think is kind of telling, you know, in a way. And I'm I'm gonna agree with Matt here. I think well, both of you, but one. I think Kevin Spacey is an amazing actor. Full stop. As an actor, I think he's fantastic. He's done some of my best performances, not just the obvious from working with Brian Singer before. I absolutely love L.A. Confidential, though, to Matt's point, that gets really freaking creepy when you look at his personal life now. But I think he is a superb actor. I think he was a great choice to play Lex Luthor. My issue is he seems a little too old to be going tete-a-tete with Brandon Ralph. But I like what he brings most of the time with Lex. My issue, again, just like you guys, is the script that it seems kind of inconsistent. He goes down one path and then suddenly jumps to another path, and it's when he goes full evil, I think that there is a great Lex in there, but I don't think it's fully allowed to develop. The times that it does, I'm like, man, this is the kind of Lex I want. And other times, I'm like, who wrote this shit? But that's not on him. That's kind of what he's given to play. We cut to Martha Kent as she's cleaning dishes and her radio signal is interrupted. The house starts shaking and she sees a spaceship land in the distance. She drives out to where it is and discovers that it is indeed her son Clark, who's in a spacesuit that is an homage to those Krypton spacesuits from the first film, by the way. So, he's back. What an interesting way to bring him back. You know what? To Matt's point, and I want to get this out here right now. I think this is a direct homage to that first film, to the point where I think some things that happen in this movie are to the minute of that first film. Mm -hmm. For example, when we get to the airplane, I think that is to the minute of when we see the helicopter fall in the first film. I think a lot of the things that are in this movie... The the rescuing of Lois and all of it is a direct reference to that first film. And that's why this movie is as long as it is. Except when you have characters to care about like we did in that first film, it's easier to digest. And this movie, it's not that easy to digest. And I think it's kind of starting here where we're supposed to buy that he's just landing here out of nowhere after five years. (laughs) This set piece just makes no sense to me. Not only that, but it's... What I can't get over the spaceman that that's spaceman <laughs> the the spaceman um, Superman needed a spaceship because where did it come from where did yeah. it go Cotton Eye Joe was this the one that was buried there that he took off in and then brought it back and buries it again I don't know this also seems very 
I, I, I know that it's a farmland out in the middle of Kansas, but this seems pretty damn big and hard to ignore, you know, that the spaceship freaking comet landed in the middle of a field in Kansas, so it kind of eliminates that he's going to stay secretive. It's okay. The suit, unless you look it up or know, that homage is going to go over most people's head. It went over mine until I saw it in an article yeah. while I was preparing for this. And then it just doesn't make clear that he's... Everything is kind of a delayed satisfaction as to what, why, that kind of stuff with it. And that's a little disappointing. Um, I, I'm always going to be a sucker for Superman and his mom, though. You know, scenes together. I don't care what movie, mm-hmm. I don't care what show it is. Having Clark and Ma Ken are always going to tug at my heartstrings. So I like that moment of the mother watching his son come home. You really need to watch Smallville, my friend. Yeah, I've heard of that show. Uh, <laughs> Matt, what about you? Oh, God, I, I was laughing because all I could think of, and Adam's going to laugh when I say this. You know when the ship lands in Men in Black and the alien takes this <laughs> and not <for> skin? <laughs> Oh, shit. Yep. <laughs> well, that, that's immediately where my brain went. But to your point about the lakes, Donner's film was an epic. It spanned years, mm-hmm. borderline decades. This movie takes place over, what, a couple weeks? Yeah. If that. Yeah. So the, with the story they're telling and with how so little of the movie actually takes place on the farm, whenever it cuts there or we see flashbacks to younger Clark, they feel really out of place and inconsequential. Again, it just feels like we're filling a quota here. Singer came in with this grand idea to the studio, and I just don't think it's as fleshed out as it could be. Um, and I think that kind of starts here. We then cut to the rip-roaring tides of the ocean as Cal Penn is here at the helm. <laughs> Funny that he made appearances in both House and this film, both Brian Singer projects. <laughs> Lex explains the story of Prometheus to his girlfriend, associate, his Miss Tessmacher, Kitty, played here <laughs> Nice. Played here by Parker Posey. Now, Matt, you and I reviewed Posey back when we did the Scream series all those years ago, and we'll get to her again once we get to the Blade series. Uh-huh. She was an indie. <laughs> she she was an indie favorite. Hell, I mean, I I even loved her way back when. She did a couple Richard Linklater movies that I really like her in. But we discussed this when we did Scream, Matt. Once she started doing these big budgeted projects, she really faltered as they never really gave her anything to do. And this is the epitome of that. She's just kind of here, and her character could have been played by anyone. This, this character is just here because Brian Singer needs to follow the outline of the Donner film, more so the first one, to the character. And honestly, she would have been a better Lois Lane than the person they actually picked. Oh wait, oh, wait till we get to her. Which makes her role all the more frustrating, where it's like you have someone who's very talented, who can be really funny when she is given the opportunity, but you give her and Cal Penn nothing to do. I don't think Cal Penn even has a line. No, he's silent. You know, and he was, you know, House and Harold and Kumar was a big, you know, movie for what it was. So it's like we, we're going to have these indie darlings, but we're not going to give them anything of substance. Oh, this is the Lex Luthor I like, though, where he's like, speaks like he speaks for all of humanity. Where he's like, gods are selfish beings who fly around in capes. And he he's very kind to say was like you know the story of Prometheus no of course you don't <laughs> like he views himself as above <laughs> as above those he works with that's my problem this Lex Luthor doesn't seem like he would associate himself with morons I mean thank God there's no Otis in this movie because that would have that would have been a step too far but again it's sort of they're they're tied too much to Gene Hackman going into this and I'd forgotten that Parker Posey was in it and when her name came up I was like oh that's right Parker's in this okay this is going to be fun. 
And no, I was. I think I was re- being reminded of Blade Trinity because to Matt's point. She, oh boy. She's oh boy. You actually like that? Wait, 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 wait. Back up, back up, back up. She. You like that movie? She. Yeah, I did say that. I said she okay. sticks out and is having fun and knows the movie she's in. Okay. That's that. That's different. But okay. to get her in this film, to get Parker Posey and not let her do anything that, to your old point, that anybody out of central casting could do makes no sense whatsoever. You know, because I see her and I see Parker Posey. Yeah, I'm waiting for, you know, get down, you freshman bitches. It, there's just, there mm-hmm. is no, she's not having fun here. There's, other than walking around with these little rat dogs, there's just, she's is given nothing to do and that's a shame because she could have and should have injected some fun there's one scene i do like her in it doesn't come till way later but yep. i i'm completely i'm in completely with you guys i just think she's she's just kind of here now singer has obviously built this bookcase as a tribute to that first film and lex is saying things like as you said matt gods are men in blue capes who don't share their powers with mankind we then cut to the fortress of solitude as lex and his clan they make their way in yeah because we're just gonna have lex get to the fortress of solitude by boat <laughs> so which, silly. which is contra- which which gets extremely contradicted in this same film mm-hmm. but he's just he's in a boat suddenly we hit the same mist that we get in jurassic park 3 and then they're walking in the <laughs> fucking fortress of solitude and they they get around it because they're like well lex was in the fortress at superman 2 but i'm like yeah but he didn't navigate himself there no. he was a borderline hostage yep he is sharing that this is where superman learned who he was and this is where he came for guidance the crystals start forming, and Lex places one in, that, and this gets the image of Marlon Brando to tell him his story, and Lex then tells Jor-El to tell him everything, starting with the crystals. Which, this moment here, where he says, tell me everything, the next time we see Lex Luthor, he should be a different Lex Luthor, maybe burdened with an unimaginable knowledge. There is no difference other than he basically was given an instruction manual. If he's given the knowledge of the universe, like he's asking for, that is never shown. And they could have done something really cool with it. I think that's the review of this entire film. Well, also, there is the, when you find out what Lex Luthor's plan is, he should have been doing that in the five years that Superman was gone. Because creating yeah. a world where Superman cannot, cannot exist is a lot more plausible when Superman is not there to stop you. Like, there's no... And when he doesn't exist. Like, this movie has the why now problem of... Why didn't if he knew where the fortress was? Why didn't he go there when he knew Superman was not around and do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's been out, you know, not he didn't get out of prison today. Yeah, he's been fucking old ladies to get his fortune back. <laughs> Which see, seeing him get released from prison would have been a cool scene. Maybe that's how you—that's the scene that you show at the beginning to show Superman's gone. You have that that uh, appeal that they make reference to like five times in this movie. Show that scene. And show Superman not show up. Exactly. That would be a pretty powerful scene because it would show how much he has let the people down. And that's more powerful than, say, a newspaper article. Yep. We then cut to Kal-El himself, Brandon Roth, as he wakes up and walks outside. All right. Let's talk about Brandon Roth a second. Quite obviously, he was cast due to his resemblance to Reeve. And for the most part, he does look like a splitting image. Except in the eyes. His eyes look like they came straight from an anime. (laughs) 
you know? And I do know that he does have natural brown eyes, and they gave him blue eye contacts because Christopher Reeves' eyes were blue. As far as his performance goes, I think given what he's asked to do, he gives a formidable performance. When he is asked to do Superman-type things, he's pretty good. But my problems with this movie have almost zero to do with the performances, and he is included in that. There are some writing, directing, and one miscast that we'll talk about here in a bit that I have problems with. But as many as many problems as I have with this movie, the casting and the performance of the title character isn't one of them. What about you guys? So I sort of feel bad for Brendan Routh because he, he's not given the opportunity to make Superman his own because I get he was just told to be Christopher Reeve. Now, you certainly could not have cast someone who looked more like him, but it's not just that. If you close your eyes and listen to him talk, you would swear they almost had the same voice uh, right down to the inflections. So I think he was definitely the right choice, but I have issues with how he's written, with how his how his character, if I'm buying that this is the Christopher Reeve one, he does some stuff that makes me resist that. This problem is I don't have enough information. What did Superman go through in those five years? If his worldview has changed, and if what he, he feels he stands for has changed, then we need to address that, but instead they don't. Brendan Routh too often feels like a mannequin where they tell him, just stand there and look, you know, look patriotic. Yeah, it's. I think he does a decent job. I can't think of who around that time, you know, would have been up for, you know, for Superman. I mean, we just got <clears throat> Tom Welling. <clears throat> Go ahead. No, because Tom Welling doesn't know how to act. Oh, he's, he would be fine in this. He'd be well, great. He'd be you fine know. because he doesn't, Brandon Routh doesn't have to act, really. So I guess Tom Welling would have worked. But he... You know, I think Ralph does a decent enough job. I don't envy somebody who was hired under a different director with a different script and then got kept around for this one, because that almost never happens. Usually the first thing to go is the director brings in who else they want for Superman. And he found out when he went into a meeting and they had posters of him in the suit up at WB's offices. And he was like, well, I guess I am Superman. There's a great, for Garrett about to roll his eyes, but there's a wonderful interview that Kevin Smith did with Brandon Ralph where he goes through the entire hiring process. And it's a fascinating listen of just the multiple steps and having to go through different directors. Um, definitely worth a listen. I think Ralph is good. Is Does he have the magic of Reeve? No. But I think he still brings a believability of, you know, the schoolboy aspect of Superman that I have missed since. And one thing that I enjoy that we got from this is he got to play Kingdom Come Superman on the CW-verse when they did Crisis on Infinite Earths. So he actually played a sequel to this Superman for the CW later on. And of anything else, I appreciate that he did get to act differently in that one. We're flashing back to him running through fields and jumping through a barn, and I remember this stuff being very prominent in that initial trailer when it was released. I'm happy to see this. When we see a Superman and here Superboy leaping, it just makes me smile because for the first couple decades, Superman never flew. He could leap tall buildings, and that's what he did. So when I see leaping Superman, it's, it brings a smile to my face, especially when it's a kid mm -hmm. going through the field. Clark then does a real asshole thing and throws a baseball about 100 yards and expects the dog to chase it. Poor fucking dog. <laughs> <laughs> the dog just looks back and whines at him. You dick. <laughs> it's not crypto. Exactly. Clark is then watching TV and he tells his mom that he buried the ship this morning. And we hear he's been gone five years. And really, what has he done in that time besides look for his home? And Matt covered that earlier. We then cut to the Daily Planet as Clark is making his way through and he runs into Jimmy Olsen. And wow, is this a different take on Jimmy Olsen? <laughs> 
Is it? Um, it's like it's like he couldn't get Sean Ashmore because of he was he couldn't get out of his X Men contract because yeah that was that was it. Yeah. They valued I, apparently they they valued X Men Iceman much more than they valued Cyclops. Um, <laughs> which is just funny also because his bro- wasn't his brother on Smallville. Yeah, yeah. his brother played Jimmy Olsen. As a matter of fact, it's just it's just funny how that works. So it's like all right, we got to find a guy mm-hmm. who what's this actor's name? I've seen him and stuff. Sam Huntington is his name. Uh, he's fine, but my problem is Clark shows up after five years and no one gives him any sort of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, here it feels too much like a... His bumbling feels too much like an act. But when Reed did it, it felt rehearsed. Mm-hmm. But he put a lot of care into behind the scenes. Like I imagine Superman at home really trying to perfect being clumsy without tells here it's way too obvious in fact i'm not sure if ralph mentioned this in the interview that you listened to adam but i guess at one point when he went to the meeting and he met up with singer and singer's producer he walked in and he spilled his coffee all over himself in the table and singer was like yep that's the guy (laughs) yeah i agree with you i think his his clark isn't really as good as his superman i think he he tries a little too hard and it doesn't help that i don't like the hairstyle they give him too like for some reason they don't we don't have the curl we just have it moved over to one side yeah they they use a bottle of moose like a full (laughs) yeah uh, because that shit looks glued on on certain scenes it does and mm-hmm. for a movie that's set five years later, why do him and Lois look younger than they did in the Daughter Universe? <laughs> because of the casting that we'll talk about here in a bit. What kind of excuse do you give a job that you're going to disappear for five years? We know what Superman did. All he tells, all we get the Clark win is he globetrotted, I guess. Yeah, I like, guess. We'd never get a good excuse as to how Clark disappeared for five years. I mean, shit, mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne had a better excuse in fucking Dark Knight Rises. I don't know about you guys, but if I left my job for five years and I came to ask for my job back, they'd say, fuck off. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he can't use the excuse I got snapped out of existence. Exactly. <laughs> we see Frank Langella here as Perry White, and Singer did a lot of coaxing to Langella to get him to come here. And he actually told him to play it down as opposed to everybody else imitating what they saw because at that point, J. Jonah Jameson was pretty prominent in the Spider-Man movies, and Singer was just like, just lay it low a little bit, just play it down a little bit. So Perry White is pretty much a non-factor in this entire film. <laughs> yeah, he's there. I- I'd like seeing Frank Langella. I mean, we'd popped mm-hmm. up on screen. I'd forgotten about her. And I was like, oh, shit, Skeletor. <laughs> yeah. That's, God. What, that's always where I'm going to go. Fuck off. Langella. <laughs> um, that that, that poor man. Think about how many publicists. I know. Think about how many publicists had to die for him to stop being referred to as Skeletor. <laughs> but he's, I don't know. There's something, when he's on screen, there's a credibility to him as Perry White. You know, I believe him in that role. It's it's minor. He He plays it very down. You know, he holds it close. But I think he's surprisingly does it well for a do-nothing role. Clark sees on the TV that Lois herself is on a huge testing flight. Now, more on the actress who plays her in a bit, but I want to give a compliment here. If there's one thing I like about what they do here, it's with certain parts of the Lois Lane art. I really do like that Lois had gone from this doughy-eyed reporter in love with Superman, the one who introduced the world to him via a huge interview in the Daily Planet, which I'm assuming is this era's equivalent to, oh, let's say the New York Times, actually last era's at this point, (laughs) to a woman who has moved on with her life and benefited even more as she has won a Pulitzer Prize for an article entitled Why the World Doesn't Need Superman. We'll talk about the execution of this plot, but boys, can you at least tell me that the idea behind this is a good one? 
Um, I guess, but only because I, this is another movie I don't care about, Lois. Uh, every time, anytime Lois is made to be an important part of the mythos of the story driving, I never believe it. So I don't, I, on surface, I get, hey, it's important. Lois is speaking for the world, supposedly. She's, but at the end, really, she's nothing but a scorned woman. You know, is that, does that do its job that really, you know, she's just a woman that was left fucking pregnant and barefoot while the man fucking left? <laughs> you know, it's like, sorry, I gotta go, uh, yeah, I'm gonna go a couple galaxies away. You know, it, uh, on the surface, yeah, I get that this does more for Lois. She's successful on her own, she's doing other things. She's, I mean, it says she won the Pulitzer Prize, but she's just having, the ceremony like this week. So that time doesn't work out because it says she already won it. So I, I don't get that. Uh, Singer doesn't understand his own writing. So yeah, I just, I don't care about Lois Lane. I don't care about her in the comics. I don't care about her on TV. I don't care about her in the movies. I think it's a great idea conceptually that she went from being someone who was Superman's biggest advocate to putting out a statement to the national, to the world that we can, survive without him. Two problems with that. One, the way it's executed, we'll talk about. And B, part of the arc should have been that Superman is actually needed, because people are still shitty to each other. You know, this takes place in a world where, I'm sure 9-11 happened in this universe, and things like that. So Superman's, what he stands for, really should be the discussion point of the movie, and it's hardly talked about. And it makes Lois... We don't read or hear the article why, you know, they don't do a lot of discussion going into detail about what that article actually said. The movie leaves you with, she lost out on some good dick for five years, and that's why she she told Superman went out for a pack of cigarettes, and she said, all right, go fuck yourself. I'm done with you. That's another great way they could have started the movie, is with her... Maybe reciting part of this article that won her the Pulitzer. She's giving mm-hmm. the interview like she's on sixty. Yeah, minutes. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or she gets, or she watches like Jimmy Olsen get mugged, and Superman's not there to stop it. Mm-hmm. Or you witness like I don't know, like Uncle Ben gets shot because Superman's not there, or so- <laughs> something that really would have. I need something yeah. concrete that would make Lois Lane of all people turn on Superman. You guys do realize you're asking this movie to be longer, right? Oh, no, no, no. no. I'm going to cut 35 minutes out of this movie later on. Okay. I'm saying saying rewrite. (laughs) Gotcha. Clark sees a picture of Lois and her family, and Jimmy tells him that, yep, she has a kid, and he takes after his mom. So right away, they're planting the seed that this other character she's shown with is very insignificant. (laughs) There is no doubt who, one, the second you see that she's a kid, is there any question how this is going to resolve? Uh, no. no. Two, no. I believe that Lois Lane is such a boring character, she would marry Cyclops. That's, that's how it's <laughs> happening. Uh, yeah, Br- Brian, it's bad enough you left the X-Men movie, but you, did you have to take actors, too? Yeah, and, like, and this is why we see him for, what, five minutes in that third X-Men him. movie? Because yeah, this is what he had to do. Yeah, they kill him off yeah. right at the beginning. Hey, you know what, mm-hmm. you, if you want to enjoy James Marston, go watch, um, go watch Enchanted. He's a delight in that. 
That was that year I've was never you know, enjoyed it, James Marsden. That, that year was the only he did two movies that year. The only times I've liked him that and Hairspray. I'm like, oh, he's actually that because Hairspray. I guarantee you, he said, "I am not getting upstaged by Hugh fucking Jackman again." I hate <laughs> the musical role. Uh, but but yeah, and James Marsden is such a nothing character in this movie that you're like, really, you left. X-Men for that role? Like, I get if you're playing, like, you know, if you got offered the villain role in this, or you know, a, a principal character, in this you're just the third wheel. He has footprints on him in the X-Men movies, he has footprints on him on this one. This this guy, all he does is get walked on in every franchise he associates himself with. Except for the, except for the Sonic movies. <laughs> I love those. Which I haven't seen. I've never seen those. We'll get to it when we get to the video games. Uh, that's what his career has come to. We went from being in the pioneer superhero franchise X-Men to the movie with a giant hedgehog that even he's not the main star because they got Jim Carrey to update you. <laughs> so we're hearing that this is a prolonged engagement. All right. We cut to Lex and his crew walking into a house and in the basement where he shows off a huge model of the city. Gotta say, this model is pretty badass. Love this model. What is uh, this old lady doing with this model? <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't strike me as a toy trade aficionado. Yeah. <laughs> I took it as he built this after she died. Oh. Or he had it built. Okay. Mm. So, two thoughts that made me laugh. One, I do love the homage of him destroying the Mount Rushmore head. Yeah, like me too. Did. Yeah, and when the lights go out, the last person I would want to be with is Kevin Spacey. <laughs> Especially when he said, "He goes, nope, that wasn't you." I'm like, "Oh God, this is so ugly and gross." And not not only Mount Rushmore, but you got a guy standing on like an oil rig that's on fire. Uh -huh. you, got a, you got train going off the track. Like it's amazing how he was like models for Superman one and two. We even have like a car in an earthquake too, like a red car getting sucked in the ground, like in uh, the first Superman film too, which I thought was pretty clever. They should yeah. also have Richard Pryor being kicked into a volcano. <laughs> <laughs> we see Jimmy and Clark having a beer in a bar being served by the series original Jimmy Olsen, Jack Lawson. He's the bartender here. That's who that was. Mm -hmm. I, I was surprised. I was surprised Clark didn't get carded. <laughs> 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 he look like the, he looks like a high school. He does kid look young. When he's yeah. I know it's not his fault, he, but I think he's like two years younger than Tom Welling, as a matter of yeah, fact. And he's, <laughs> Which is yeah. funny when you think about it. It's funny, you look at like around this time, Cavill's younger than him, but he still looked far more older, even at that yeah. age, than Ralph did. Jimmy says he still believes that Lois is in love with you know who Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure she called Bruce Wayne for a booty call. Uh, remember, it was a Zack Snyder sequel. <laughs> well, I was going to say, there was a period where around this time they were talking about doing a Batman Superman crossover. Yes, yeah. they were. And Ralph's name came up in those conversations. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if Christian Bale gave her a booty call and when she was orgasming, she goes, Save Clark and. Bruce goes, why did you say that name? <laughs> that is the craziest thing, that this is only a year removed from Batman Begins. Mm -hmm. yeah, and also, the funny thing is, that movie didn't do well. No. Really great commercially, but you look at what that spawned versus what this mm -hmm. did not spawn. We then cut to the plane that was shown on the news, and Lois is here being the pesky reporter she's always been. Or is she? All right, here we go. So the biggest mistake, or I guess it can be argued one of the biggest mistakes that this production did, was hire Kate Bosworth as Lois Lane. It is the one bit of casting that went against type. 
because Spacey had worked with her on Beyond the Sea and vouched for her inclusion here. It's not that she's not the splitting image of Margot Kidder. That's not what I'm against. I'm against the fact that I do not believe this woman is a reporter who wrote that story. Not to mention she has zero chemistry with Ralph. She is far from believable in this role and is to the detriment of this movie. She's too fucking timid and she is an awful Lois Lane. The worst. Damn. <laughs> yeah, she's saying. terrible. I and saying. I haven't watched any of the animated movies you guys have. I've never seen an episode of Lois and Clark. I've never seen the new Lois and Clark. So I don't know how any of those are. I'm just saying from the movie universe up until this point, she's really bad. You know, you do want me to watch some of I think you would actually enjoy Lois and Clark, the new the new one. That's what I've been told. Yeah, yeah she, she's no Terry Hatcher. <laughs> Which is funny. That's one of the only times I've liked Terry Hatcher. <laughs> yep. Um, I, I don't hate her, but... I will agree. I don't think they did any type of on-screen chemistry test with her and Ralph because there isn't any. I, there's none. I, I don't believe these two could hold hands walking down the street, more or less find a way to make a baby. Wow. Short and to the point. Matt? I'm with Garrett. I think she is the biggest misstep the movie takes. There's none of the spark or sass or, you know, stand-up nature that Margot Kidder had, which makes me feel really disconnected. Spacey goes in and out. That's not a euphemism. As far as being Gene Hackman versus not, Ralph is almost entirely in performance Christopher Reeve. Writing, not so much. She does not feel like Margot Kidder whatsoever. And I am convinced that the screen test was Brandon Ralph and a cardboard cutout of Lois Lane, and they said, all right, we're good to go. And they just had Bosworth show up because they're like, oh, we'll make this work. This shit reminded me of either a high school play or some of those scenes in an Attack of the Clones. It reminded me of that. Ooh, yeah. And look, I don't think Natalie Portman would have been a better choice, but there had to have been somebody else they could have cast. At this time, Amy Adams auditioned for this. Yeah, she did. Amy Adams. And you know who else? You know who I would have cast in this? Swear to God, Jennifer Connelly. I would have thrown her. She would have been too old, though, wouldn't she? In 2006, uh, she, been, she would have been borderline, I guess. Yeah, she was, but she would have right looked younger than Margot Kidder did in 78. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, she would have been in her <laughs> mid-30s. I, you know, because, like, I, it's like they wanted Kirsten Dunst, but knew they couldn't get her because she was already Mary Jane. Mm. Yeah, and this, like, look, all I have things to say about her and Toby... These two make Toby and Kirsten Dunst look like Christopher Reeve and Marco Kidder. <laughs> We're told that once they reach 30,000 feet, the shuttle will detach from the plane. I wonder how this is going to go. <laughs> Surely nothing will go wrong. <laughs> this is also by the way, Meanwhile, for the record... Go uh, ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. I stepped on that. No, you're okay. Ahead. This is actually a reference to a scene in the Batman-Superman animated crossover movie, World's Finest. Well, it was, uh, it was a three-episode run on the New Adventures or Superman the Animated Series, and it starts with Lois Lane on a plane that gets taken over by carjackers, and Superman comes in and saves, taken over by really terrorists on a plane, not carjackers on a plane. That's fucking stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do not edit that out. <laughs> I'm not. But, but the joke is the, the the hijacker comes up to her and is like, what's your name? Lane. Lois Lane, you mean the one Superman always saves? She's like, yep, afraid so. And two seconds later, Superman just it. Oh, we really got to review that because it's, um, it's got Mark Hamill's Joker in it. And it was Jeez. the only time him and Clancy Brown's Lex Luthor were in the same thing. And I consider Clancy Brown to Lex Luthor the way I categorize Mark Hamill to the Joker. 
Interesting. Meanwhile, Lex is playing with his model as it shuts off the power to the city. And you know what, boys? I never put together until this viewing. I haven't seen this movie too many times over the years. I've watched it maybe four or five times. I never put together until this viewing that this is also why the plane Lois is in gets in trouble. It all stemmed from this demonstration. This is what cuts the whole power off in the city, this demonstration. Yeah, I don't remember that either. And I've seen, and yeah, like you, I've seen this, you know, a handful of times, but I did not remember or put together that this happened from him throwing a crystal in the, I don't know, I guess hot tub yeah. down there with the train set. <laughs> hot tub. <laughs> the shuttle won't detach correctly. In fact, it burns the plane's tail, and now the plane is in trouble. As soon as Clark hears of this, it causes him to leave, go to a dark alley, and change into Superman. And boys, I think it's safe to say, the next 10 minutes or so of this movie is borderline great, and the major highlight of the film, at least for me. Superman's racing to the plane, and as Lois struggles, she looks outside and sees him flying by. I thought that was a great shot great little scene he takes a shuttle into space as the plane does a tailspin he goes down and moves through debris to grab hold of the plane as it comes right down into the mound of a major league baseball game and i like how the plane is getting dented as its gravity catches up to it and i like how superman is the same boy scout as he says statistically flying is still the safest way to travel as he leaves and lois faints tremendous throwback tremendous scene again i think if you were put this side by side with that original film i do think that this is pretty much on the to the minute of when he rescues lois from the helicopter but i i think the the effects here everything about this like the new i remember the big lead up to this and the big hype going in was the new effects were going to really enhance superman in this big budgeted film and i agree i I think the effects are great here i still think they hold up relatively well and i think routh is great i think the way he plays this throwback is tremendous and man this was a huge highlight and it really i really enjoyed this in fact at one point i just threw my uh threw my notepad down and just watched it because i just i love the way it built up all right here we go (laughs) there's times during this scene that i think it looks fantastic it's action-packed and i'm rooting for it there's times where I think it looks like a cutscene from a PS3 game, and I know, I understand we're 2006, but still, there's some times where I, I, I think they needed to sharpen it up a lot or cut away from it. I love that when he zooms in to save it, we just see him go by the window. Nowadays, it would be a slow-mo of him coming up to the window, looking in, and it would be like 30 seconds of everybody realizing he's in the window. You just see him go by it, and I think it's a subtlety that's kind of understated. And then, based on how we feel about Lois Lane, watching her get thrown around this plane for three minutes, <laughs> man, there's not more bruises on that six head that she's got, because it's a good scene. I think it goes on about three times longer than it needs to go on. I mean, this thing is long. I, I, I like how it ends. I like that it you know, ends at a baseball stadium. There's something fitting about that. Like Superman, you know, Truth, Justice, American Way, Apple Pie, Baseball, like that goes together. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was struck by, like you said, the physics of that, of the plane still collapsing because of gravity. I love that touch. It's a subtlety that was not lost on me. However, a plane is considerably longer than a baseball field, and I hate when you get things wrong. Like, from a home plate to center field is only 400 feet, and a plane, I don't know. It feels like it should be a little longer. Um, good scene, fun scene. I just think it God goes on about two-thirds longer than it has to, but I do think that it's a nice way to... It's finally us watching Superman be Superman again. Excuse um, I, me. I love how I yawned at the, the most interesting part of the movie. What I like about this scene is that 
just because he's Superman doesn't mean he could do everything with ease. Like, this is still difficult for him to do. Uh, you could argue it's because he's been gone for five years and maybe he hasn't flexed those those Earth powers that he gets because of the yellow sun. But it's thrilling. It's exciting. Superman actually saves people, which I think this is the last Superman movie where he actually saves somebody. Uh, <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> um, yeah, shots fired because I have words. Um, they did. <laughs> but... But yeah, I think this is cool, but I'm also with Adam where this could have been trimmed a bit. And Lois Lane should have brain damage from the amount of... Like, she gets thrown around in this plane to the point where she should have been carried out on a stretcher or scooped up with a mop. We cut to Perry White trying to get his reporters to once again cover Superman's return. Clark starts his stalking in this movie by listening in on a conversation between Perry White and Lois. (laughs) And this stalking is interrupted by Jason, Lois' son, coming in and right away showing that he has asthma. And Lois says that he's going to grow up big and strong like his dad. We're just setting the stage, aren't we? (laughs) A couple things. If you're going to have a kid, have a pup fur, have him use it, right? (laughs) Two. Why? (laughs) For what reason did you give this kid? Just so he could not use it at the end of this film? Ugh. No, Ugh. I think it's I think it's to I think it's to kind of throw us off. He's he's not going to be the perfect kid. He's not going to be Superman's son if he has asthma. Oh no! I think that's the only not. reason he's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what that's what I think. I think it was there to throw you off. I think that we're thinking, oh, this has to be Superman's son. We're thinking that, but once he has asthma, we're like, okay, the kid's not perfect. It's not his son. You look at James Marston, right? You, you when you look at probably his headshot, when you look at his screen test, there's no way that you would not look at him for Superman. I mean, he's got the chin, he's got the looks, he's got the yeah. eyes. You know, he prototypically would be that superhero, you know, but that's why he's Cyclops. But he's fucking, ven- he's he's Cheerios and, and skim milk. He's not even Honey Nut Cheerios. He's just so damn bland. Mm-hmm. I love how Adam is the second person out of the three of us to take a pot shot at Cheerios on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this part could have been played by anybody. And again, not saying it would have been a great movie, but I think X3 would have been better if Cyclops was actually in it, given he's instrumental to the oh. Phoenix saga. Yeah. Oh, please. James Marston okay. doesn't add anything to anything. Does Singer have a crush? Is that literally what this is? Here's my question. Well, my question of, on this is, are we supposed to root for Richard, I mean, he's just a guy trying to do the right thing. Of course, we're going to make the parallel. He can also fly like Superman can. Okay. But are we supposed to feel bad that this kid is not his by the end? Or are we supposed to feel like, okay, he's the quote-unquote villain of the film because he's in the way of him and Lois. We want to see Lois and him get together. Yeah, it's, it's not given a... It doesn't take a side, which is a problem. And there's a way to make him more interesting is if he's told Clark later on when he finds out he's Superman, like, I became a pilot because of you, like, when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, like, there was a way you could connect them. But I like that he's not, like, a deadbeat dad or an alcoholic. Like, they didn't, go that, they didn't go that way, which would have been just way too cliched. But making him Perry's nephew. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, he doesn't have flaws. You know, he doesn't. It's He did the right thing by Lois. You know, they're together. He has a great job. They got a house on the freaking water. He's a pilot. He's got to know this kid isn't his unless Lois, within the span of a few weeks, went from Superman to Richard. You know, I mean, doesn't say much about Lois Lane when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> so it's 
it's weird because there's nothing bad about Richard, but by putting him here, you're trying to have the audience root for one of these guys over the other, or to feel like Lois is rooting for one of the guys over the other. And that's, it's totally unnecessary. Yeah, why does this story need a love triangle? It doesn't. I think it's only here. My feeling is, and I'm speaking from a screenwriting standpoint, is it's here just to give Superman another foil to get to Lois. Like, if he wasn't here, Superman would swoop in on Lois in a heartbeat. The reason I guess that we need a foil is because he doesn't meet the actual antagonist of this film till two hours and 15 minutes into it. <laughs> That's true, too. Which is another problem I have. You went back to Lex Luthor again. I knew you were going to bring that up. That's the arch nemesis that people are familiar with. If you're going to go back to the original two Superman films, Matt, it wouldn't have been right to introduce a new antagonist. You had to bring that back if you're going to tell this story. I I think you could have, because here's why. You have Clark going to Krypton. He should have found Brainiac, and this this is how you bring him in, finally. Brainiac. Yeah, Brainiac follows him to Earth. But you know what? I will say, when Batman 2 comes out, whenever it does, if they pull a Joker for the villain of the second one, I'm going to bitch and moan about them going back to that well all over again. Yeah, well, I'm going to bitch and moan if they pick anyone who's been done before at this point. Lex opens the newspaper to the headline, The Man of Steel is Back, as Kitty says how cute he is. Not unlike Miss Tassmacher, huh, guys? (laughs) (laughs) This is exactly what she did. Clark and Lois, they exit the Daily Planet, and Lois gives off passive-aggressive vibes as she says that she was once in love with somebody from another planet, and they took off without saying a word. So, does this imply she fucked Martian Manhunter, too? (laughs) He shapeshifts, you never know Clark calls Fuck him when he was Martha Kent (laughs) (laughs) Sorry everybody I have two drinks and I hate this movie So I'm trying to make life (laughs) Clark calls a taxi as only he can And Lois leaves We then cut to Superman flying through the sky And well, seeing how Lois and her family live because this is how we want to see our Superman character, right? Stalking the family. <laughs> oh, this is so gross to watch. It is. Yeah. Um, and I get, like, you know, Superman is reminiscing about something that he could have had. But at the same time, Lois has made it abundantly clear she has moved on. And if she, of all people, can do that, then maybe Clark should do the same and find his own woman. It's the perfect way to split them. They don't need to be in a relationship. You can split them up so that su- Superman can belong to the world to not go that route. You know you, you know who my favorite person that I've seen in a relationship with Superman was in a comic book? Was the Superman Wonder Woman maxi-series they did for about two years. Because they both understood that they were freaking heroes to the world. Lois is never going to get what she wants out of Superman, and Superman's always going to have someone die if he's got to stop to to be with Lois. So I just, I don't need them together. I don't want them together. I'm not bothered by the super stalking, as people, you know, refer to this movie a bunch, but I just, I don't need them together. And she's not worth it for him. I don't get Mm. that he would be enamored with this Lois Lane the way that he was enamored with Amazingly enough, Margot Kidder's Lois Lane. Like, I believe he was fascinated by her. There's nothing to be fascinated about with this one. He overhears her say that she was never in love with Superman. Superman then flies high and hears the words of his father, as well as the cries and struggles of everyone in the world. And I think what Singer is trying to illustrate here is that since Superman left, the world has changed, and not for the better. Let's not forget that since the previous Superman film, things like Columbine and 9-11 have happened, the world has changed. And so in the five years that he's been gone, the world's different. 
But this was a way of undoing the romanticizing we feel Superman does for humanity. So in reality, humanity sucks. And Superman's realizing that. I just wish they could have explored that a little more. This movie should have been about him wrestling with, what if I just leave forever? Like, what if he actually found remnants of Krypton and had to decide, do I go back and restart civilization there? Or do I fulfill what Jor-El wanted and be the best of humanity because he never also talks about like, Oh, they learned nothing from what I stood for. Um, and he doesn't really feel like he's remorseful or like upset with humanity at what the lack of progress we've made. Instead, he just, that's the problem. He just focuses on a woman. That's where his brain, you know, he's speaking through his dick more than his, than his brain. There could be some, Great stuff there. And I guess in one, um, I understand in one version of the script, he did go around saving people and like landed on either the, the 9-11 memorial site or something else. Like oh, it was Ground Zero. Of, yeah, yeah, it was Ground um, Zero. And realized what had happened in his absence. I'm glad it was cut because I don't think you can do that in a way that ends up being respectful. I, just, I don't think any filmmaker has it in him to do that respectfully. But there's something to be said there about him going, man... One, being upset that he wasn't there to save what could be saved. And two, I think we should see a Superman that wrestles going, I can never have a life because I have to save these fucking humans from themselves. You know, to go down the injustice type route going, do I have to keep doing this? Am I not, can I not have anything for myself? There's a great, uh, there's a great story of Superman needing to find humanity and being unable to because of us humans. He already learned that arc in Superman 2. He already tried to have that human life by giving up his powers, and he realized, I can't do that because I have a higher purpose. So it feels like a double beat, and again, for a movie that feels like it's so indebted to the Donner films, it doesn't understand resolution movies, especially the first two, what Superman learned in those movies. Between that and the fact that a guy who grew up on a farm with family values had a child out of wedlock. Superman does what he always does, though, and we get a montage of saving in the film as we're seeing a criminal trying to escape the police by setting up a Gatling gun and taking them out. This is interrupted by Superman, and we get a massive use of the new-at-the-time visual effects as he swoops in and has bullets bounce off everything, including his eyeball. This is a scene I remember being really excited for. I remember... I think there were there was footage of the bullet hitting his eye in the trailers, yep. and this was really exciting to see on screen. They don't do much with these effects, and um, it just kind of falls flat because this is the end of this. I remember being excited because, yeah, that, that bullet hit in the eyeball was a trailer shot. I remember being excited for this scene in the theater. I remember being like, oh, that's cool, because it's, it's, I mean, in action, this Gatling gun and Superman, and you feel some power there. It's amazing how it's almost reminiscent of of the cut scenes from Donner, you know, when he goes underground. But, yeah, it's over too quick, and it comes across pretty dang cheesy now. You know, only 16, 17 years, God, 17 years later, this film's old. (laughs) Um, It just doesn't hold up, and I guess that kind of shows its ineffectiveness. I like it to a point, but even this, you know, the guy with the Gatling gun, still twice as long as it needs to be. I like the other scenes of him saving people. It's nice to see Superman be super. I think we need that a little more. But it's almost like, "Ah, fuck Lois, I'm going to go save people now, you know, is how part of it comes off. And I just, I want a super Superman. This wasn't a holdover from the Kevin Smith thing where you need an action beat every ten pages. Because this feels like someone said, hey, 
we got to have some kind of action scene in this boring-as-fuck movie. John Peter's still in charge. Lex then heads into the Natural Museum to take some kryptonite, as Kitty is in a runaway car that is saved by Superman, who, of course, does the pose that was directly from Action Comics number one. Did you see the date on the uh, on the rock? It was found in... No, 19- I did not. It was found in 1978. At Abras Abrabob, right? Ababa. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ad- yeah, whatever was from the first film. At the same place from the first film. I yeah. saw that. Again, I like how this is filmed because we are seeing it from Kitty's point of view. This is different than anything we have seen in a Superman film before, and I, I dug that. Yeah, it's, it's a cute little fun scene. I got no I, I got no doubt how it's going to end and that it's designed to be a distraction. But I find Posey also, you know, kind of fun in this part when she doesn't have to be next to Spacey. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like how it ends. I like with her, you know, flirting with Superman. And I mean, it's amazing how much they're trying to model her up in Tess Mocker. Oh, God, absolutely. Everything but putting her in a white shirt and dunking her in the pool. We see Superman take Kitty to safety. We're then seeing more highlights of Superman saving people as Clark walks in on a, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman reference. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. Like, that, that line is, is the equivalent of them having their shoehorn with great power comes great responsibility every fucking Spider-Man movie. Stop it! <laughs> Perry is still aching for more Superman coverage as Jason needs more asthma medicine. Kitty yells at Lex for actually cutting the brakes off the car as Lex says, of course he did, as any man can tell when a woman is pretending. <laughs> Which is, God, just a scary line. <laughs> Which in is ad-libbed by <laughs> Meanwhile, Lois is narrowing down where the blackout came from as Richard is asking how tall Clark is. And even Richard sees the similarities. And by the way, Clark is still using his super hearing, so he's stalking like hell. He just does this all the time. Clark helps Lois pick up the contaminants of her purse, including a pack of cigarettes, as he sees her move up in the elevator, and he meets her there. He tells her that she shouldn't smoke, and he says it's only fair that he answer the people who are asking questions about how he's back. And again, this has got to be minute by minute to the interview and flying that Lois and Superman do in the first film. I would bet money on it. What color are your panties? Yeah. Yeah. As if he would have to ask, he can just use his x-ray vision. (laughs) You know what I'm struck by here on the roof? And we're going to get to it here soon, a couple weeks. But everybody wants to really complain about the look and color of Superman's suits when it comes to the current DC universe. This suit, and it's really apparent to me here on the roof, is devoid of color. The red is brown in this suit, and it's really striking and ugly. Another thing that's big about this, too, is like there's an S on everything. Like There's an S on the boots. They really overstylized this thing, too. And um, I remember the big deal about it, too, is that you know he once again wears the underwear on the outside of the pants. That was a big deal when, this was, when they released that first photo of him online. And I, I think the suit looks fine. It's not, I don't know, I, I, I don't feel one way or the other about it. Once we get to Henry Cavill's suit, I'll definitely have words. But this one, I, I think is okay. I think it looks just fine. I just feel like they took the color down. So It's, it's apparent when it's like from the back. Because to me, that cape should be the red of the American flag. And it's just such an ugly shade of brown when it's focused on him from the back that I can't unsee it. I don't like how we were in this period where even like the Raimi Spider-Man suit, that that red is pretty muted compared to how it looks in the comics. Superhero movies were afraid of color for the longest time. And X-Men here, like, movies? Yeah, I mean, this started with X-Men. I mean, hell, this started with Blade. It was black, black leather. And it also looks 
Like, he took... It doesn't look like one suit. It looks like pieces from a bunch of different suits that they yeah. mesh together. Like, it's not consistent in the overall look. While they're up in the air, he, Superman says that he had to see for himself that Krypton is indeed gone. And she responds that a lot of people seem to be happy that he's back. Go Everyone ahead. is way too fucking quick to say, Oh, thank you, Superman, for coming back. She's pointing out that she's not too happy. She says that the world doesn't need a savior, and neither does she. She's, she's woke. See, we don't need a white. We don't need another white man to come. <laughs> <laughs> Superman does convince her to go, come with him, and they fly this time with no. Can you read my mind poem? And this is also when she says that Richard is a pilot, and he takes her up in the air all the time. <laughs> so she's really trying to just mute this dude's fucking reappearance. <laughs> He takes her high in the sky and tells her that even as she wrote The World Doesn't Need a Savior, every night he hears people crying for one. And then he takes her back home as only he can, and that's spinning her down into her heels. She asks if she'll see him around, and he responds, he's always around. Uh, That's a creepy ass, like a lot of creepy insinuations. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Uh, definitely. How do you you guys feel about this flying scene here, which obviously is reminiscent of the first one? it's, It's too close. It's got all the pageantry, but none of the soul. I mean, mm-hmm. there is soul because there's so many foot shots. I swear to God, Tarantino directed this fucking scene. But aside from that, it's like they have negative chemistry. Like, that's how bad it is. And that's exactly what's missing because I like the flight. I actually like this version of, you know, Can You Read My Mind? I like the orchestration they do with it. I also like the dialogue here of Lois being like, you know, the world decided it doesn't need a Superman. And for Kal-El to be like, I hear them calling out to me every night. Like, that's a powerful thing, you know, that he, you know, she, the person he loves is saying, the world doesn't need you. And he's standing there going, I hear everybody calling out for me. That's powerful. But these two can't make that work, you know, together. Um, The descending onto the rooftop, it should feel magical like it did, you know, when we discussed it the first time. But it's just, if you're going to copy it, you sure as hell better be able to do it at least as well, if not better. And it can't. You know, it's just, it's poor brushstrokes. Lois walks in while everyone is eating, and she lies to Richard about whether she was smoking or not. What a fucking, she what, a, get, what a dick to Richard, by the way. Come on, tell the truth. <laughs> what a <laughs> random, like, what the fuck? I know. Lois gives her new article. Superman returns to Perry, but she still wants to find out about the blackout. Meanwhile, Superman flies to the fortress and sees that all the crystals have been stolen. Lois swings by to pick up Jason and then goes to where the source of the blackout is pointing to. She walks in, and I do love how Spacey plays this. As she approaches him, he has a mouthful of toothpaste, and he just goes, Whoa, Shane? Like, this is actually real. I I really enjoyed how this was played. That's that's a good moment because, yeah, he – like, he did not set this up. He did not bring her here. This was not part of his ploy. This is Lois Lang being an unfit parent to take her, you know, super bastard to this B&E that, he, that she does at Lex Luthor's place. And, yeah, this moment, it, it comes off natural. This is the one time Spacey comes off completely natural in this, and it, it makes me laugh. It really does. I love the hill, t- the head tilt he does too. Like it's just, it's really. <laughs> it funny. feels like he's surprised to see her there. Exactly. But but this makes Lois feel too much like a like a patsy, where she should be smarter than this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, it kind of it kind of makes her look especially to bring the kid. Yeah, it makes her look fully yeah. ignorant. By the way, super bastard is what we should now title this movie. Put right now. <laughs> <laughs> Lex talks to Jason 
who says that he's not supposed to talk to strangers. And there's some back and forth with him and Lois, where Lex says that Superman can do so many kinds of things, like saving people, but he can't do the little things, like appearing for a court date. Which would have been great if we would have seen that scene at the beginning. Exactly, exactly. Lex then tells Lois of his plan to not build a state of his own, like the first film, but a whole continent of his own, as the United States will be underwater. Real estate, real estate, real estate. Exactly, just up in the ante. I do like how Spacey's acting in this, though, because he changes millions to billions and yells, Wrong! As she says that Superman won't let this happen. In the course of this scene, we're we're seeing Jason act kind of odd as Lex brings out the kryptonite. Mm Mm-hmm. So here's the dead giveaway right here. I um, I agree with you, though. I like Lex in this scene. Like, this scene of Lex is kind of what I wish he was through the whole thing. And, yeah, when he's, when he's begging her to, like, egg her on to say Superman, and, yeah, that raw is such an over-the-top but perfect kind of moment for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think that that's more like Jim Carrey's Riddler than anything else. <laughs> um Jesus. But but again, it, it's like he lifted dialogue because he talks about how land is the one thing people will always pay through the nose for. For me, it's too close. Thanks, Mr. Luthor. Yeah, like, I, I, I wanted, I mean, the fact that they were talking about, you know, underwater and stuff, I would have popped if Aquaman showed up in this movie somehow. <laughs> like, I was big surprised because <laughs> there was no Aquaman talk for a movie. I know he was on Smallville. Yeah, he was. His pilot came out this year. <laughs> that's right. Oh, yeah. my God, that's right. I mean, there was the mm-hmm. Battle for Atlantis video game, which I think all those copies got thrown into the ocean because it was so fucking bad. Lex leaves his tattooed goon to look after Jason and Lois. Meanwhile, he moves his plan into motion. He loads a cannon with kryptonite and fires it into the ocean. We also see the old trick of figuring out a password. And of course, as smart of a reporter that Lois supposedly is, the password is simply Superman. I mean, it could be worse. It wasn't a three-letter password that opens the Batcave. Which we covered last year. We see Jason playing heart and soul on a piano, as for some reason we have to reveal that this goon has a tattoo on his head of John Wayne Gacy, which, boy, when you put into context what Brian Singer and Kevin Spacey. Yeah, no kidding. This is scarier than any of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequels. They play heart and soul together as Lois writes a note to be faxed, asking for help. She tried. Fax machine in this movie. I know. <laughs> like this movie does a pretty good job at, at feeling timeless for the most part. Oh boy, that's the one thing that does not age well. You know what? And the more I was thinking about it, like, where when is this timeline? Because they say he's been gone five years. So is this supposed to take place in 1983, which would explain the fax machine, or is this supposed to be modern day, where he was that those those other movies took place in the modern day, and this is just five years after that, which that would mean the other movies took place in 2001, and this one takes place in 2006. I don't know, and that's the stupid thing about this is you're right, it feels timeless, but this kind of shit just makes me think overthink what the fuck they're trying to say here. She had a modern cell phone. She decided to leave in her car for no good reason. She did have a cell phone. I did not see any cell phones in this, but you're saying that she did have a cell phone. I didn't see that. Yep. Okay, so they are saying it's modern day. Though. Yeah, yeah. She tries to fax this as the power goes out, yet again, just as the goon unplugs the fax machine, making us think that he did it before it can be sent. As the goon stalks Lois, the asthma-laden Jason saves the day by sending a piano into him. Uh, fuck. That was the exact noise I made in the theater when I saw this happen. I was like, oh boy, here we go. So did about two-thirds of my theater. I think everybody was just like, oh, fuck this. Yeah. 
Yeah, and even as a huge fan of those films, and by the way, I like the fact that that singer's playing up to that. He's playing up to the fact that, yes, he also grew up loving those Superman films. Uh He wants to play that exact beat of those Superman films in this movie and make us feel triumphant at moments such as this. But when he does shit like this, this is when I'm like, fuck you, you're just doing something completely stupid, and... You're, you got me in the theater by playing up to what I loved about those first movies, and this shit fucking kills it. I hate it. Fuck this shit. I, yeah. I hate, utterly detest the idea that Clark Kent slash Superman would have a bastard child. Yeah. Like, the most upstanding superhero we have is an illegitimate, a deadbeat father. <laughs> like, that is such, like, Bruce Wayne has a son, but his son's a piece of shit. And he's all, and Bruce Wayne's definitely, is, sorry, fuck Damien. That's a, convers- that's a conversation we'll have later. You know, Peter Parker is a good dad. Superman is the one that you choose to be a bad father. And he grew up in the Midwest. That's like the, the suck belt mm. of Christianity. Like, yeah, you think this is the guy who would have a child without marriage? I mean, I'm sh- like, I'm, he's look. The argument is that well, he slept with Lois in the Fortress of Solitude. Fair point. So he, he's he's not above being celibate. He's not a Jedi, where you just have to retire your deck when you're nine years old. And it's like bye, we'll never see you again. But there's no implication that you know there was promiscuous sex or um, you know he didn't use a condom to use that terrible Kevin Smith joke. This is just wrong, and from here on out, the the movie, even though stuff is happening, I can't get back into it because this revelation takes me out. And you could not say he wouldn't know, because with with his super senses, unless he left the moment afterwards, he would know that she was pregnant. So it's, it, yeah, it, oh, it, it is such an insult to what Superman is. I think the only reason... This is here. Again, I'm just thinking like, and this is scary to think about, but I'm, I'm thinking like Singer was thinking about it at this time. I think the only reason this is here is for the moment at the end when he tells his kid the exact same thing that his dad told him as a child. Yep. He's trying to close that arc. But the way you do that, again, the ideas in this movie are pretty good. I have said that there are ideas here that I really like. Mm-hmm. Borderline love. It's the execution of them that I completely despise. And this is a movie, I'm telling you right now, boys, I wanted to love. When I saw this in theaters, I wanted to love it. I saw it twice, thinking, okay, the first time, I must have been in a bad mood. Let me try again. And I watched it another time for another review, and now I'm watching it with you boys. And I'm, I once again sat down. Put that fucker on, and I'm like, I have to love this movie. This is playing up to everything I loved about those original films. I want to love this movie and defend it, because I knew Matt was going to come in hating it. I wasn't sure about Adam, but I knew about Matt, and I'm thinking, I have to I have to love this movie. It played, it played, it played, and I'm watching this, and this moment happens. I had the exact same reaction I had back in 2006. Fuck this. Can, can I just say why I'm laughing so hard is that you sound exactly like everyone in 1999 walking out of the Phantom Menace. <laughs> well, wait till we get to that review. I have things to say about that too. But it's that same thing with like I went in wanting to love it and I kept making excuses for it. And I'm like, oh, but it's yeah. the originals and well, there's a difference. That's a, that's the original creator. This is not the original creator. No, but it's it's still that same universe. And the funny thing, I I was curious because I, I didn't know what the Rotten Tomatoes score was for this. 
taking a seventy-five. Like, yeah, it got a, it's got a high score, uh, which is surprising because, like, you know, I think this I would have thought this movie would have been as divisive as Man of Steel would turn out to be. Mm. But I, I think a lot of people were caught up in the. I'll say this: this is a beautiful movie to look at. It's the first movie, other than a Star Wars film, to be in digital too, which is another reason. Yeah, so like, it's it's beautiful artistry, but there's no there's no heart to it. Like this movie's like a chocolate Easter bunny; it's fucking hollow inside. Well, I think there is a lot of heart to it, but I think the heart is misplaced. I think it's trying too hard to pull those heartstrings when there's really not much substance to it. Meanwhile, the kryptonite lands in the ocean, starting the process of creating a world of kryptonite as Lois and Jason are locked in the pantry. Lex determines it's time to go as a result of what Lex did, hits Metropolis, and Superman once again reappears. He's feeling the effects of the kryptonite in the water as he flies overhead, and we cut to Lois and Jason once again being trapped... We're seeing the effects of the kryptonite hitting Metropolis as Superman flies down and does things like save people from falling and grabbing a sign as it falls off the building. Again, here's another leg of the film I actually like. When I'm seeing Superman do Superman-type things like this, I'm into it. It's weird watching a movie in 2023 where Superman is saving people. It's so strange. No shit. So the kryptonite is going horizontal as well as everything else. That kryptonite has reached Metropolis is piercing and going through Metropolis as well. Superman's affected by it as he's flying to Metropolis, but has no issues once he's in Metropolis. And uh, supposedly, and apparently, that they have a border wall up at Metropolis, because I guess that kryptonite just stopped once it got there. Because it's not going up or in or anything else. I, I, I don't know. So he can be around it sometimes, but not some other times, and he's completely unaffected once he's there saving people, which goes on forever. Like, I like him saving people. I think it's fantastic. I think it's great to see Superman be super. I don't think it's great to sit and spend minutes watching people looking up into the sky, you know, cut around this shit. Fuck. This is when you can cut... From here towards the end of the movie, 20 minutes out, easy, by trimming this down. You need an action scene, because we need one, but wow, this is tedious to get through. Adam, this is a romantic film. This is supposed to be romanticizing the Superman lore. We need scenes like this to make us to remind us that Superman does save. This is the only times I'm actually in the into the movie is when he's saving people like this. We do need and we don't get it that often. So when I do get it, Superman. I'm savoring it. Don't show me people huh? on the street looking at a building. Show me Superman. We are supposed to feel when Superman does appear. I don't like how this shit looks like a Roland Emmerich movie where the city's being destroyed and like it, it, it's like fucking day after tomorrow, which is about as long as this movie feels. Like I felt like I was watching a fucking thirteen episode Netflix. Bitch. <laughs> Trying to get through this two and a half hour gauntlet. Superman then flies underground, again like the first film, minute by minute, and stops the city from being blown up by underground power lines. He then grabs a globe of the Daily Planet as it falls. We then see Kryptonite hit the boat that Lois and Jason are in from the bottom, causing it to start sinking, and Lois to once again be in trouble. Richard is also here, saying that he flew to get here, and they start sinking. But wouldn't you know because it, here's Superman to lift them to safety. Go ahead, Adam. Because, exactly that. Both of these men are flying to save Lois. Get it? Mm -hmm. She's got two <laughs> men flying in to save the day. Oh, 
Man, yeah. let this boat sink with both of them underneath. Because even the time it takes to watch Lois and Super Bastard sink, I could put this on two times speed if I could, and it would still be taking too long. I think this took longer than the fucking Titanic sinking. This has kind of a, a cool shot, though. It's reminiscent of that shot in True Lies as Arnold is pulling Jamie Lee Curtis onto the helicopter. Superman asks if Richard has them, and he lists them to safety. I thought that was a pretty cool shot. Mm-hmm. He gives them a boost, and the fly- and the plane takes off. Superman lands, and Lex says that he sees his own apartment and asks Superman if he sees anything familiar. Superman tells Lex that he has something that belongs to him as Lex punches him down some steps. And then him and his goons proceed to kick the ever-loving shit out of him, even stabbing him with a kryptonite shard all in front of Kitty, who just looks on. What are they trying to do with this fucking character? They don't stab him with a shard. Kevin Kevin Spacey sticks it in and breaks it off. Literally sticks it in and breaks it off. Mm -hmm. I gotta say, I am... I'm bothered by this scene because I should care about these goons who are beating up Superman and to watch goons do it. I could absolutely care less about goon one, goon two, goon three beating up Superman. You want to have Lex, you know, be the one there doing it. And he gets a few licks in, but when the goons are sitting there like fucking stomping him, like I'm, I don't care one way or the other because I don't care about these goons. And that seems weird, but just, I, I don't give a shit. Well, they're playing up the music so much, you're supposed to really care. Oh, yeah, they're trying mm-hmm. to emotionally manipulate mm-hmm. me here, but they just, they can't. I also don't, this is where I feel the biggest separation with Gene Hackman, because he never would go to blows with Superman in any capacity. Like, the most he did was convince Superman to put the kryptonite on his neck, uh, you know, the Flavor Flav kryptonite chain and toss him into the ocean. Which I also have, if this is the Donner universe, in that movie, a little shard of kryptonite is enough to mortally wound him. Later on in this movie, he moves an entire thing of kryptonite unscathed. I, I, I'm really, like, this last 45, like, outside of 5% of this movie, the other 95% was a chore. Superman then falls into the water below. As he falls deeper into the water, he's hearing more of Jor-El's teachings. This is when he sends some kind of signal to Jason, who convinces Richard and Lois to go down and save him. Lois pulls him up as Richard makes his way through the kryptonite ruins until he pulls the nose up and they see and they fly to safety. I was thinking, I was like, okay, does Superman, she pulls the shard out, and I'm thinking, okay, does Superman pull the plane up? Oh no, we're seeing Richard pull the nose up, like we're supposed to see him be heroic, right? At least the, at least the kid didn't do it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. And this, yeah, you know, it was it was a cool, fun scene when James Bond did it at the beginning of GoldenEye, but... Arg. Oh, but when Superman <laughs> fell in the water, I half expected Adele to start singing. Superman then tells Lois that he has to go back. He tells Lois goodbye and flies toward the sun, recharging himself. I, one thing, and it, he does it more than once, when Superman is up flying and he's doing his, you know, solar recharging and everything else... You don't get that so blatant that it's insulting Christ imagery of Superman, you know, with the arms outstretched that like Zack Snyder loves so much. Did you not Him, watch Man of Steel? They do that. <laughs> Him, oh, no, that's what I'm saying is you don't get it here, that he just flies up and is just kind of basking in it. I appreciate that they don't make that Christ pose while he's, you know, recharging himself. Well, it should be said, Donner also did that. He did, but there was some emotion there. It's not, I don't know, it doesn't feel insulting when Donner did it. 
but to not mm-hmm. have to not have it here, I appreciated it. There's something about I don't know. It was a simple change because every other filmmaker seems to you know put him up on the fucking crucifix, and I like what it looked like when he's just up here basking in the sun's rays. I'm trying to pay this film a compliment, damn it. Who's half expecting him, though, to have, like, a telepathic conversation with Jarrell? He finds, like, another sh- shard that, you know, like, it's his it's his Mickey moment in Rocky. <laughs> Whichever one he talks to him in after he died. I think it's the fourth one. Is it the fourth one or the third it's one? It's the fifth one. It's the fifth one. Oh, that, I'm sorry. Most of those movies blend together, and I'm also... <laughs> um, <laughs> because I, I have expected Brandon, like, Brandon to call and be like, you know... You know, you have to... They can be a great people. They lack the light. Literally light with the sun. And, he also says, get, yeah. and then he says, get me a McRib. Superman flies back down into the water and uses his laser vision to get underneath. Meanwhile, Lex tells Kitty that, yes, billions of people are, in fact, going to die. They then get in a helicopter as Kitty lets loose of the crystals. We see Superman emerge with this kryptonite planet. Yes, kryptonite planet. He throws it into space before he himself crashes to the planet below. And Singer is playing this almost like a romantic tragedy as a sad yet romantic theme plays as he's crashing. What's amazing about this is, yes, he has saved the world. We had closure on him and Lois. Yet, even after he does this, this movie felt the need to go on another 20 fucking minutes. Yeah, it's got the Spielberg problem where there's a point it should have ended and it just keeps fucking going. Uh, I'm not going to call it a Spielberg problem. I am going to call it just a problem with a, a, a lack of editor. Like this movie, you guys are absolutely right. It does need to be cut. And this extra 20 minutes is so unneeded. I remember being in the theater and just aching to leave at this point. And why is it harder for him to take down a plane than it is to do a mountain of fucking kryptonite? <laughs> and does he get all of it? Because apparently he went all the way to Metropolis. But he's out in the ocean, and that looks kind of... Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't look like it's stretched fucking miles to the shore. Uh, it looked pretty big, dude. It looked that big, looked but pretty big. It, but yeah, it, him lifting a kryptonite island, just no, 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 no. We're seeing him in the emergency room. They can't put a needle in him, and he's declared dead. I like it. I do too. This, the, the chaos of the hospital scene, I enjoy. Lois heads to the hospital, and she is joined by Jason as she goes in and says her goodbyes, and he wakes up, and the press surround her. We cut to perhaps the funniest part of the film, as Lex says that he would trade 10,000 coconuts and a quart of Kitty's blood for a quart of gasoline. (laughs) When she asks what they'd eat, he looks at her nameless dog. This was, again, this is the only time I really liked Parker Posey in this film, and again, Kevin Spacey's playing this actually pretty fun. (laughs) Too little too late, though. Mm -hmm. We then see the hospital bed that Superman was in now being empty. And Lois is writing a new article entitled, Why the World Needs Superman. Boy, she came around really fucking quick. You're not kidding. Boy, I wonder if Richard's going to be suspicious at all. We cut to inside Jason's room as Superman gives him the same speech Jor-El gave him as a child when he was flying to Earth. We have come full circle at this point, and Superman is passing what he has learned and grown up with to his son. I would have liked this again if it was played better. It's just... The way this comes to be, I'm just like, okay, fuck this. <laughs> the son becomes the father, becomes the son. Mm. I enjoy that. It's just like, I just wish it was, God, just done better. Lois decides, ah, uh, to hell with smoking. Can Superman please visit my fiance and tell her to quit as well? <laughs> she sees Superman and asks if she'll be seeing him around, and he once again responds with, I'm always around. <laughs> <laughs> 
We see him fly a bit before we end on that bit of him waving at the audience and credits roll. Finally, uh, Superman Returns, boys. What did you guys think about the final leg of this film? I, I like the hospital scene. I like the shot of the Superman is dead caption that they got right, yes. right from the comic. You know, it's, it's right out of Superman. And then it pans over to see, you know, both covers. I think it's a nice little thing that they had. To, I remember that moment in the theater being like, oh, uh, you know, they got it. Even as an adult, they got me. You know, it was a good little moment. I, I, I can't stand in everything with this kid. So it feels like it's just set up for a sequel and things like that. I, I don't care for that part. But him, Brandon Routh doing the fly over the earth and, you know, that final little moment, I think Routh earned it. And I think he does a good job. And I think that's my, excuse me, that smile and everything else, I think is earned. So I'm, I'm happy Ralph got that, you know, Superman clothes. I almost was asleep again by the time <laughs> this movie ended. Like, this to me is one of the three most boring sleep and coma-inducing movies I have ever seen. But I woke, I, I snapped out, and I don't know if it was because I was just really tired or where I was at, where I'm at in my life, but I I teared up when he's when he's repeating what his father said to his kid, even though I fucking hate that he has a bastard child, that that got me the idea that Superman, you know, this guy who's so lonely, he does have now that real human connection. I just hate how it was, how it was spawned. All right. That does it for Superman Returns. Scale of 1 to 10, what do we give Superman Returns? Adam. You know, it's amazing. This movie had so much potential going into it. I think that most of the casting was done well. Brandon Routh, I think is a good replacement for Christopher Reeve. I do agree that I think it's a little unfair that he does not get to make his own Superman. He is being asked to play Christopher Reeve. I think he does that well. I think Kevin Spacey does a pretty admirable job as Lex Luthor, I think. On screen, I don't think we've had a lot of good ones. Gene Hackman is Gene Hackman, but I think this Lex is pretty damn close to what we get from a comic booky type Lex. So, you know, there's some some praise that I have there for it. Unfortunately, this movie is and a movie that has Superman saving a plane crash, battling on a kryptonite island, having two different montages of saving people. This movie's boring. It's long. It's ridiculously overlong. Um, the score is forgotten halfway through the film, you know, other than the John Williams theme for Superman and Can You Read My Mind. The rest of the score is forgettable. The movie's shot beautifully, okay? Yes, it's it's in focus, and the colors are there, so, and it's, you know, nice to look at. But the look of Superman's suit, I'm not impressed with whatsoever. The symbol, I think, looks good. I think the cape is ugly, and that... I just can't get over that the cape looks muddy and ugly. I can't get over that. Lois Bosworth, I mean, we said what we've said. I, I think she's a detriment to this film. I think every time she shows up on screen, she's an anchor that might as well be attached to Luthor's freaking yacht because she just drags it down that much. James Marsden is here because, as I said, I'm assuming Brian Singer has a crush and just brought him along because I, I can't think of any other reason to put him in this film. It's... It's a Superman movie. The, the amazing thing is it's better than some of the other ones we've seen. You know, it's not bad at, like Superman 4. It's not even as 
like off the rails as three is. But the problem is it doesn't bring the hope that you get with Superman one with Superman two. And that's what it's trying to emulate. It tells you it's a sequel to the one and two. It tells you it's that continuation and it doesn't feel like it belongs in that universe. It just, it can't live up to it. He, this is a Brian Singer film directed by Brat Ratner. That's what this feels like. You know, this is the X-Men 3 of of the Superman films. This might as well be a Brett Ratner film, because there's no Brian Singer that I find in this film except him wanting to hang out with Spacey for creepy fucking reasons. Put it on in the background. Enjoy some Superman moments from time to time. It's tough, because I can't say it's horrible. It's just not good. It just sits there. But it sits there for two and a half hours. So I'm going to leave it in the middle because you can put it on in the background and have some moments, but I can't say put this on and watch it and enjoy it. So I'm going to give it a five because I got to put it above some of the other Superman films we've discussed. Five on 10. Wow. After all that, I was expecting lower than a five. It sounded like some of the rants that Matt's done about in your house over (laughs) the last few wrestling podcasts we've done. Matt, You've uh, ranted pretty hard against this film. Go ahead, give your final thoughts. What do you think of Superman Returns, sir? I share Adam's sentiment that this movie is great for the background because this is one of the best, like, uh, white noise movies to fall asleep to. And I'm not talking about white noise starring Michael Keaton, by the way. I have always resisted this movie, but I've given it every instance I can. You know, I watch it. This is, what, the fourth time I've watched it in full? But I always had a certain amount of bias going into this movie because I didn't want to see it when I was 12. Didn't like it when I first saw it. And as I've gotten older, I've just grown to dislike it more and more. It's not for me, but even if I was an executive, I would ask myself, who is this movie made for? It's in the Donner universe, certainly. But there are too many instances where I feel it flies in the face of what Donner established, especially not giving it the the pass that three and four are not acknowledged. So you're already pick, cherry-picking what you count as canon, sort of like what Star Wars and Disney did with the whole EU, which we'll talk about. I don't know who the blame falls on. I put most of it on Brian Singer because this was this was the project that he chose to leave X-Men for, because he self-familiarly said this was too big of an opportunity to pass up, and he loved Superman. So I think he should take the lion's share of the blame. It's unfortunate that Brendan Routh's career kind of stagnated after this movie, because you would think playing Superman would get you A-list roles repeatedly, but I think he was handcuffed by not having the opportunity to put his own stamp on the character. He's the... His own Terrence stamp, if you will. I make jokes because that's the only enjoyment I can get out of this movie. It's it's just not a pleasant experience, and it's so goddamn long and redundant and redundant as fuck. Is it one of the worst superhero movies ever made? Oh, God, no. Like, there, there are so many that are worse. Uh, you could argue, I don't even think it's the worst Superman film we've covered yet. But for me, when I review this movie... I have to factor in entertainment value. And I don't think there's enough here to entertain me that I can be overly generous with my score. I was going to go with a four, but the, the more I age, the more I just fucking hate the way that 
Superman has a fucking bastard child. Like, I can't tell you how much that sticks in my craw. Uh, so that knocks it down to a three on ten. I would never call this one of the worst comic book movies ever made, but I will say it's one of the, both the most disappointing. And for me, I think it's one of the least enjoyable, though. So three on ten for me. Boy, I have been waiting 17 years for this moment. Let's see if I can live up to this. <laughs> I think Brian Singer was in love with the idea of making a Superman slash Donner film. I think he surrounded himself with yes people to make sure it came through. I think every single story point he put on, people were like, yes, go with that. Yes, that's perfect. Yes. Yes, we need to execute that. I don't think he thought about the ramifications of what happens when none of that makes any sense. He wanted to do another real estate plot just like Donner did in that first film. He made it extra big. He made it extravagant. The plot doesn't make any bit of fucking sense. What, people are going to buy this ravaged fucking kryptonite land after it destroys so many people? No. The more you think about it, the more you're like, fuck that. And Matt hit it on the head. Superman having a bastard child just sticks in me. And the only reason, again, he put that there was for the final scene of this movie. He wanted Superman to pass along. And yes, he did have plans for a sequel. We'll talk about that here in a bit. But it just it doesn't come off well. The fucking miscasting of Lois is hugely detrimental because if I'm going to care about these characters, I need to care about who he casts. And Kate Bosworth, what's she done? Blue Crush and Beyond the Sea at this point? She is just so timid and so terrible as Lois Lane that it makes me rebel against every single time she's on screen. Everybody else is fine, and I'm with Matt also in the fact that I feel sad about, I feel sad for Brandon Routh. I feel sad that, you know, he took this role thinking it was going to be a nice homage and he could kind of move on and maybe do another one of these, one or two of these. It didn't work out for him, and that's sad because I do think there's a bit of charisma in him, and I do think he plays this role as he was told, and he plays it pretty decently. So fortunately, I like the super, I like the title character. Unfortunately, I hate everything they have him do i like the stuff of uh, unlike adam i like everything of him saving people because as matt said we're not going to get too much of that in the later stages of this retrospective and i like the fact that this was an homage to those films that we absolutely love however it's poorly executed nobody told brian singer no in the process of making this film and it hurts this film it hurts my love of this character and i'm glad that this universe did not continue i like the idea of this film but I don't really like this film. I want to give it a five because of the stuff I do like in this, which probably seems a little high, but I do enjoy that he is playing up to everything that I loved about those first two films. But my God, if you're going to do that, execute it well. We're, we've seen it done well. We're going to see it do well in the future, in future retrospectives. Who knows? Maybe me and Matt will see it done well in The Exorcist sequel we're going to see here in a couple months that we're covering but we did not see it in this movie this is a five out of ten and that is the most generous five i have ever given but what will we feel next week because we're going to see this revamped again this time by someone by the name of Zack snyder man of steel another movie i've been wanting to talk about long form for quite a while adam you of every, all of my friends seem to be the one who's defended this movie the most what are you expecting next week when we talk about Man of Steel? Oh, oh I think we're going to be fighty, fighty. I think it's, I think it's going to be a good discussion. I think it's going to be a fighty discussion. I think there's going to be some introspection on it, not only for, you know, not just Zack Snyder, but Henry Cavill more than anything. 
it's you know it's going to be really interesting because you and I discussed it when it first came out, and not really much sense. You know, it's easy to take shots at Zack Snyder because he never ever goes away. But I think going back now, ten years, wow, ten years later, and taking a look at it is going to be an interesting look back on where this DC reuniverse kind of started and subsequently ends. Yeah, I came out of an initial screening of this. I went to an early screening of this, and I remember coming out, and me and you were already fighting about it <laughs> at that time. Matt, sir, you and I were in a movie club at the time this movie had come out. I don't think you and I have spoken about this movie too much over the years. What are you expecting when we get to Man of Steel next week? I have been dreading my rewatch of this for two reasons. One, I've only seen this movie twice. First time, I came out of that theater... Really loving it. Second time was right before BVS came out. And I said, you know what? I see some of the problems, but I still like it. Based on that little bit of a decline, I'm terrified to watch this again. Especially now that we have seen what came out of Man of Steel, you sort of have to look at it now, both in retrospect, which is the purpose of our show, as well as what it was initially. So... I think there's a lot to talk about, you know, because it's one of the most debated movies of my lifetime. But I have to say this. 2013, I fought tooth and nail over every fucking movie that came out. You did. Like, it seemed every week, every fucking week, and I'm going to run down some of these. Every week, there was a new movie that either was the greatest thing ever made or set internet on fire. There was Iron, there was Iron Man 3. Shit. There was Star Trek Into Darkness, which Shit. there was the Wolverine, which I was the guy who liked, and everyone Loved liked it. it. This movie sucked. And Fantastic. There, there was, uh, I'm trying to think what, Fast 6 came out, and I was the Fast and Furious fan. I'm like, good one. This, uh, this one's not that good. Like, what the fuck you people say? <laughs> then we get to, I said Monsters University was better than the first one. Oh, shit. <laughs> we didn't talk. Eventually. Um, <laughs> and. Here's the thing. This movie, Man of Steel, had the the monumental task of having to follow up Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. It was a year removed. People were still high. Nolan's name was all over the fucking promotion, even though he was barely involved. Yep. Mm -hmm. But Henry Cavill still as hot as ever. Jake, I'm sorry if you're listening, because I, I gotta say, when, when this movie came out, I didn't really know who Henry Cavill was. Oh boy, we, we found out when Man of Steel came out, because the internet got thirsty very quick. Yeah, I remember when that came out, I was like, why is this guy from Hellraiser 9 in fucking Man of Steel? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like the guy from Hellraiser 9, the guy who lost out on James Bond. Yep. Um, but, but the thing is, I still remember, but we'll talk about this next week, when the teaser for Man of Steel came out. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember every trailer. Yeah, like, I remember the trailers. I remember... I remember when Zack Snyder was announced to direct the movie. That set the internet on fire. Like, people were arguing yep. the moment it was made. <sighs> the, the second. Yep. The second that was posted, people were arguing. Yep. Oh, I, I think there's a lot to talk about. I mean, the fact that it's been ten years, I can still tell you when I saw it, who I saw it with, the car ride home. Uh, this is my, my friend Sean, who... Fun, fun story I'll delve into more. He's the person I saw Star Trek Into Darkness with, and he loved it. He could tell I hated it because I said nothing on the car ride home. 
<laughs> uh, Man of Steel, we had a, it was a very lengthy conversation. Um, I'm glad this movie has sparked a lot of debate because I think that's the sign of, of, it's what films should do. It should promote conversation, should promote differing opinions. But I'll say this, I think when you have the conversation, you got to talk about what Man of Steel is versus what you wanted it to be. And before we close this out, let's let's close the book on Superman Returns. You know, the, the movie it comes out, doesn't do gangbusters. It makes $391 million, which the year after, Grant Singer was at Comic-Con, was like, why is that, what constitutes a success if a movie makes $400 million and is considered a failure? Yeah. <laughs> he did have plans. He wanted to put Brainiac in a sequel. And yes, he did have plans for Zod in a sequel. You know, as the one who tried his best to defend this movie over the years and came out of this not really sour on it but on certain aspects of it i'm glad that we did not return to this universe adam would you have liked to have seen another movie with brandon routh as superman no just because if he if all he was going to be was a replacement christopher reeve i don't need it if he would have been his own superman then i would be interested in it but this superman no, I was ready for something different. Matt, I'm assuming the same from you. I was too because I, I felt bad for Brandon Routh. He sort of had the, you know, it's sort of the Timothy Dalton effect in a certain degree where I don't think he got the opportunity to really show what he was capable of. But I, w- I was excited for true science fiction Superman. That seemed like what we were getting for Man of Steel. Because, you know, the Donner films, you know, fantastical, but I wouldn't call them like hard science fiction per se. Uh, in Superman Returns, you know, the villains left Luther. I was ready for the more, you know, I didn't care who it was. Darkseid, Brainiac, Bizarro, Metallo, Mr. Mitch's Pidlick, hell, he could have fought Stiltman. I would have been excited. And then when I found out the villain's going to be General Zod, I was like, motherfucker! And that does it for the tease for Man of Steel, which is coming out next week. We have so many things coming up. As I mentioned, our Halloween-themed shows are going to be The Exorcist, and I think a little bit of King is on the docket as well. So we're going to return to that universe. Uh, Me and Matt are already planning The Exorcist. We have somebody that we've reviewed with in the past. He's going to come back and review it with us, and we are so excited about that. Keep tuning in. Me and Matt are still doing the wrestling shows. Those have been fun to do. Matt, we're in the cups. We're in the beginning stages of football season. And are you going to redo the? You're going to do those Jets podcast again, correct? I'm hoping. Just depends on my availability. Oh, man, back in the Superman universe, and once again, it's another animated discussion. Thank you, boys. Until next week, when we do Man of Steel. You wrote that the world doesn't need a savior, but every day I hear people crying for a podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. Once more, we survived the threat of war and found a fragile peace. I thought I could give you all the gift of the freedom from war, but I was wrong. It's not mine to give. We're still a young planet. There are galaxies out there, other civilizations for us to meet, to learn from. What a brilliant future we could have. And there will be peace. There will be peace when the people of the world want it so badly that their governments will have no choice but to give it to them. I just wish you could all see the Earth the way that I see it. Because when you really look at it, it's just one world.
for listening to this episode of the Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast. Hey, Jim Bones! That's a bad outfit! Join us next week for an entirely new review. I see you are practiced in worshipping things that fly. Men in a Retrospective podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. Mind over muscle. Edited by Garrett. Hey, that man's a miracle. Voiceovers by Adam. Ruler of Australia, activate the mission. The Three Men in a Retrospective podcast is for review and discussion and all clips music, and audio cues are used as such. feelings. We all have our little faults. Mine's in California. Uh, I'm ready when you guys are. Okay. Matt, you ready? I'm not drunk. Or, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not drunk, seriously. I'm seriously not. Yes, I'm ready. I guess it died of acid indigestion. So... I have read it in its entirety, and I'm so glad they did not make that movie, because holy shit, <clears throat> I'm losing my voice already. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> so. Jesus. We then cut to the Fortress of Solitude. As Lex and his clan, they make their way in. Because He's sharing that this is, yeah. Sorry. Because he can No, you're good. Fortress of Solitude start, start that over. Start that over. Oh. Start that over. Yeah, because we're just going to have... I guess it died of acid indigestion. You might as well dress him in a red and black freaking flannel jacket. That's how much... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th- this is such a, a deliberate red herring that they might as well have Maury Povich come out of nowhere and say, You are not the father. <laughs> he played in our casino this week, by the way. Maury Povich did. Oh, I thought you meant that kid. <laughs> no! <laughs> Clark.
James Marsters playing Richard to pick their son up. Dick. Ah. <laughs> exactly. That's what I put that together too. Oh, James Marsters. We've covered him already. You know, we, we don't need to talk about this character anymore, but God, what a what just a paper thin, totally same character that he played in X Men. Like he's just being upstaged by everybody. Uh, and he's not—he's not James Marsters. You have to stop saying that. <laughs> oh, he's James Marsden. Yeah, I always got those. Because James Marsters was on Smallville and Buffy, which are yeah, That's he was fine. yeah, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, he was, he was Brainiac on. on Smallville. He was Brainiac on Smallville and Spike on Buffy. Yeah. Oh shit! I did get it right. He... I guess it died of acid indigestion. Between that and the can fact that a mute... guy who grew up on a farm with family values had a child out of wedlock. Can someone mute their mic? They keep brushing it in. <laughs> it keeps making noise. Is that you, at Matt? No, it's not me. Brian Singer's on the call. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> He's rubbing the mic in. <laughs> Kitty yells at Lex for actually cutting the brakes off the car, as Lex says, of course he did, as any man can tell when a woman is pretending. <laughs> Which is, God, just a scary line in Which hindsight. Which is ad-libbed by himself. Sorry, my cat keeps jumping on the, on the, uh, on the desk here. I think your cat is um, making that noise. Yeah. <laughs> no, Mike, the cat's not been on the ground. He's been jumping up every once in a while. I don't know who's making the noise on the mic, though. Cat. No, the cat's down now. We then see that Lex has gotten his hands on some... <laughs> I guess it died of acid indigestion.